0: You really have nothing better to do with your life than listen to me talk to behaviour experts about dogs. Then this is your kind of show. Sit yourself down, eardrums are ready. We're going in. Hello everyone. Uh, Welcome back to the second episode of Just Shane with me, Shane Kelly, and my special guest this week is Claire Barton. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thanks so much for turning up. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Shay, and thank you for inviting me. I am honoured to be your first special guest.
0: Yeah, so you're a, a bit of a guinea pig this week because uh, I've done <laughs> one podcast already with me answering questions, and now we're going to try and uh, we're going to see how this format works out. So we're going to be taking a look at Claire's bio and asking her a few questions about that. Uh, then we're going to go to expert in the room where we're going to ask Claire about a few things that she's particularly interested in and where her interests lie. Then we're going to go to Enrichment Corner, um, what's your beef? And the randomizer. If we get that far, we might might run out of time before that. Hopefully we're going to keep it down uh, under an hour so people listen. Oh, let me tell you a bit about Claire's bio to start with. Um, As a child, uh Claire didn't have a dog we're already getting sad so <laughs> um we uh Claire left school at 16 passing eight oh levels so she was obviously pretty smart uh dabbled in hairdressing and beauty therapy left because she didn't like touching people I I feel <laughs> your pain <laughs> I hate being touched um Claire left to work in retail. Uh, she's worked as an estate agent. She's done admin for her husband's um, fruit, set, fruit and veg business and worked in primary school business management, whatever that is. So Claire's currently working as a behaviourist. She does one to ones mainly. And Claire also has a foundation degree in and bachelor's degree in dog training and behavior and a master's degree in animal behavior and training Uh, claire's undergrad research involved ccds which i think is canine cognitive dysfunction syndrome but she'll put us right in a minute if that's not her msc research at word learning in dogs and a phd if she goes on to do one which i'm sure she will (laughs) would be on neurodiversity in non-human species, particularly, of course, dogs. Quite a lot there, Claire, to to start us off with. But that doesn't tell us the whole story. You didn't just um, scrape through uni, did you, Claire? Uh, I believe you had some awards on your um, master's degree, um, because I I, I was um, privileged enough to be able to watch uh, the graduation online. Uh, so, yeah, tell us a I, bit about those.
1: Um, well, I, I always, I always say. In fact, I'm very grateful to you, Shay for taking a year out before you went back to do your MSC, because um, Shay is well known for sweeping the board at uni awards. Um, but because Shay wasn't in my cohort, um, <laughs> I did. I got um, what was I awarded? Now I forget. I have three shiny plates. I have one which was for best animal students, I believe one was for best research project and i think the other one was for best postgrad student something like that that's awful that i've forgotten already isn't it
0: fabulous i mean i i'm, I'm glad you mentioned mine because i never like to mention them more than different <laughs> times a day <laughs> <laughs> even, even, even now someone gets some great award on the tv it could be it could be a night it could be anything and I, and I turn to my wife and i say well, it's all right, but not gradually year, yeah. is it?
1: It's not. It's not, no. And you're very proud of your shiny plates. And I need to find a home to put mine up. They're currently in a bag.
0: Your bio, I I I just read it out and it took a little while. But at you, when I asked for a a short bio from Claire, what I actually got from you was three A4 pages, Claire. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: you know I've always struggled with word count, Shay. Well, well, that's what I'm
0: coming to because <laughs> uh, we studied together for a long time uh, and word count is always the thing that everyone struggles with. So I was just wondering how you how you managed. You're obviously very good at writing. That's your sort of thing. And uh, I, I just wondered how you managed to keep your your assignments down within the word counts.
1: With huge difficulty and um, it, it, yeah, it was it was a skill I was still honing um, at the end of seven years of study. Um, but basically I would I would write my assignments and then I would go back and cut stuff out and I would still be several hundred words over and then I'd have a little strop and a stamp because I didn't want to take certain bits out and then I'd sit down in a panic and go, right, words have got to leave and just go through it and be brutal. And sometimes I took the right words out and sometimes I took the wrong words out and that was reflected mm. in my grades. But yeah, it's It's an ongoing struggle.
0: Yeah, it's when, it's when you take words out, isn't it? And then, and then the uh, marker says, oh, you could have expanded on A, B, C. Yeah. I took that out.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's it. And you're there shouting at the screen going, I could have, I had it, but I couldn't.
0: <laughs> so Claire, what led you to returning to study at our more mature years uh, for both of uh, us, a little bit younger than me, uh, but returning to study after all those years, what actually led to that?
1: Um, I think, well, a couple of factors. One, um, I had briefly, I'll try and be brief. I had briefly dabbled in um, mature student learning, As I'd done um, one and a half A levels and some accounting studies and various bits and bobs throughout my 20s Mm. and 30s as flexi learning. And I really enjoyed it. So I knew I enjoyed academic study once I was outside of the school environment I came to um I guess I came to it through dog behavior because I as I've written in my bio I had a a special dog called Barney who has been a key a key player in everything I've done in the last 10 years probably um and he had uh, behavioral issues and I had always gone to puppy training with my dogs but um I'd done various other different types of training with Barney just for, just for fun basically and to, to occupy his brain, but he still had behavioral issues. And I ended up having a behaviorist come to visit me at home and we had amazing conversation um, and it absolutely fascinated me. What she told me was just, um, it, it was reassuring. It was interesting. It um, it made me feel like I wasn't alone. Um, and it gave me hope and motivation to work with Barney um, and I was fascinated and I wanted to do the same for the people as what she did for me. So I had been reading about dog behaviour for a while and um, I was reading more and more books and I thought I'd actually like to study this as to work in this field. So I started looking at courses and stumbled across Bishop Burton, basically um and was encouraged by the wonderful staff there um and thought you know what i'll give it a go
0: that's brilliant and and that that
1: that's what i did
0: it's a it's a fairly common um story that i hear where people mm. have been so encouraged or impressed awoken their brain if you like on, on onto the mm. subject when they've like with your behaviourist or trainer, uh, that they got so interested in it through that, through, they were so impressed mm-hmm. with what they uh, they learned and suddenly realised, oh, there's a whole new world here that we didn't even know existed. Um, yeah. Uh, and get into it that way. Uh, for me, yeah. I, I left school with without any O-levels. I didn't. Uh, I struggled at school. And then so I spent my 20s probably self-educating because I, I was left with, really without the basics even. And I did have a, a go at um, uni previously, Uh, With the Open University, um, but I was about 30 then, maybe 27, something like that. And I probably lasted to the first assignment, and that's probably (laughs) I think I got the mark on that. And I was so disappointed that was it, it was (sighs) all over. And then I had to go, you know, 20 years later, and that's old history now.
1: Uh, so
0: so I was the same when I went to Bishop Burton. It just I don't know if it was my age or where I was, but it just sort of worked for me. So, with your experience at uni and your experience at school what Mm. do you think did you find that very different for you it it was for me
1: yes I think it was I mean it was very different obviously there was the age thing um but um yeah I just didn't although uh, you know I was I was fairly academic in that I could achieve at school I did pretty well at school but I didn't like the environment I didn't like being yeah. didn't like being told what to do <laughs> still don't like being told what to do didn't like being told what to do didn't like um, the sort of competitive environment um didn't like the fact that sport was king and if you couldn't do sport, then mm-hmm. you weren't of that high value and I couldn't do sport at all um yeah so I just didn't like the environment I wanted to get out into the world so I guess when I came back to uni I'd been out in the world I was able to carry on doing different things um but the study experience was just so totally different totally different um but I don't think because I've often thought oh should I have gone to uni at 18 or whatever I don't think I'd have had the same experience I think going in as a as a mature student is um is something very different, and um, it's very special. Really, it is. It's life changing.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think maturity helps a little bit, just the, your life experiences mm. and and things like uh, and things like that. I think it probably yeah. it'd be interesting to speak to the lecturers actually about about the difference between teaching um, older, more mature students like us and teaching the younger ones. I wonder yeah. if they find it. Um, any different challenges or just if they find it different really uh, but yeah. I was no good at school either at sports so I didn't have any academic ability I didn't have any sporting ability I was <laughs> I was very good at running that was about it so I was that's uh, good I was, I was I was in a cross-country team and mm-hmm. I, I set a few school records for uh, 400 meters but anything else I couldn't kick a football to save my life and that's what you have to be good yeah. at to be in the cool game yeah. really I would have missed the ball completely Oh, you know what that noise means? It means we're going to another section of the show called Expert in the Room. So we're going to ask you a few things about your expertise or, or you know, the things that you got particular interest in. And for you, I thought we'd look at um, some of your research. So your BSE, you looked at CCDS, which, yes. again, I think CCDS, which I which is, I hate acronyms for a start. I'm, I'm totally Sorry. different. So, but. <laughs> Is that canine cognitive dysfunction syndrome?
1: Yes, it is. Okay, so canine cognitive dysfunction syndrome um, is, it's also sometimes known as um, canine cognitive dysfunction or doggy dementia. And that basically says what it is in that it's the canine equivalent of dementia, but it has particular similarities to human Alzheimer's disease. Um, And there has been... A fair amount of research in dogs because um, it, it's been discovered that we can study dogs as a model for um, research into human dementia, into human Alzheimer's. And obviously there's there's a lot of research going on into that at the moment. Um, the other thing is that because dogs share our environment, so with the... Um, the suggestion that there are environmental influences on a person's um, likelihood of developing dementia. And um, this is part another reason why dogs are useful as a research model, because they they live the same lives that we do. They're exposed mm. to the same things as we are. Um, but yeah, so if you if you think of um, your classic person who's suffering with Alzheimer's, you have things like um, memory loss and um, the, um, I guess, loss of, of recognition of people um, struggling with um, daily tasks, um, anxiety. Um, there's also a, a, a part of it called sundowning, which is sort of pacing in the evening and, and restlessness at night time. Um, and basically, we see all of those things. Well, not maybe not always all of those things, but we see those things in some of our senior dogs. Um and again, it's it, it's quite um, it varies a lot. This is why it's one of these things that's difficult to diagnose because um, mm. it's a syndrome. There's a range of, syndra- of um, symptoms. Some dogs will display all of them. Some dogs will display some of them. Um, age of onset varies hugely. Um, it they can also again because we're looking at um, a population of, of older dogs they can also be suffering from other medical conditions they can be suffering from um, loss of sight loss of hearing um, arthritis and all of these things can sugge- have um, display with symptoms that can be similar to cognitive canine cognitive dif- dysfunction so it, it's a difficult it can be a difficult one to diagnose it can be um it's a difficult one to treat in that there there is no cure um but there are things that we can do to alleviate some of the symptoms and there are things that we can do to manage them so that the dog um still has a good quality of life and the human um and i think sorry go on shay
0: you said um that there's a lot of similar symptoms and so it's hard to diagnose and so mm-hmm. what my brain Im- immediately thought is does it matter if, if that's what the symptom is does does mm. that make a difference to to how you're going to treat it or look after the animal or
1: um say? yeah that's an that's an interesting point I suppose in some respects no so in terms of things like um struggling with vision struggling with um hearing loss Um, No, you're going to manage it and and, um, treat the dog exactly the same. I guess it's to do with things like um, prognosis and learning, because a dog with CCDS will um, generally deteriorate over time and you may start to see other symptoms coming in. Um, The other thing... um, which I think is quite big. I know we're going back to Barney again, but, but Barney um, suffered with CCDS. And I think the thing that was hardest was that he struggled to learn. So he'd always been a very bright dog. He'd learned things. And again, if you had a, a dog who was aging and had some sight loss or some hearing loss, but cognitively was still um, functional, fully functional, you would be able to train them. Um, with some alternative behaviors or some some skills that would just help them manage with that disability whereas if you have a dog with ccds you go through the process of training with them and you don't make any progress because they're not they're not able to retain that knowledge they're not able to acquire that skill so it's having um it's having patience and um that's when i think it comes in it you, you need to manage it differently so do do this
0: sounds to me like it's it's going to be one of those things that in more cases than not goes unrecognized because yes. it's the sort of thing we might just say well dog's are old or
1: yes yeah i mean that's i think that's one of the um one of the biggest issues, really, is is people's um, attitudes and people's knowledge. Because, um, yeah, so many people will just go, "Well, the dog's old," or you know, he bumps into things, and some people might find that funny, um, or you know, Gosh. "Oh, he, he 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 pees on the floor. He's a really naughty dog." No, it, it's just that he's you know he's really struggling, um, but they may not have even come across canine cognitive dysfunction and not all vets are particularly well educated on it yeah, um, I was just
0: thinking of the uh, if you then said then about the peeing on the floor because that's what I was just started to think about was maybe people get um, frustrated with the dog and think the dog is yeah. misbehaving for whatever reason when yeah. there's something much more going on uh, in yeah the-
1: yeah that's it and and again when you get to the point of if you have sundowning that's actually really hard to live with because you know you sit down to watch the telly and your dog's pacing constantly they're pacing up and down they can't settle sometimes they're whining sometimes they're barking um and the owner's thinking oh this this dog is driving me crazy you know and they they might shut it out in a utility room or or just not understand it um yeah, I've um, never uh, actually
0: heard of sundowning before, so that's a new one on me.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, it's something that is found in, in humans as well with dementia. And um, so
0: what can we do uh, to help people just as a general uh, thing? If, if they think their dog is suffering from uh, canine uh, cognitive dysfunction as they age, uh, what, what changes can we make or how can we make their life um, a little bit easier?
1: Well, I think, I mean, first of all, you you know, Shay, everything in behaviour, if you see some sort of behavioural changes, is to go and get a medical check with the vet um, to make sure that there are no underlying medical conditions that are either making the the condition worse or that are causing some of the symptoms so that we can support the dog medically. Um, Once you've done that, then I would say it's it's a case of... um, There's there are some good resources out there, actually. So um, Eileen Anderson has written a fabulous book um, called Remember Me, and she also has a um, website, which is I think it's Dog Dementia. And there are some really great resources on there. I think it's to go away and educate yourself about what it is that your dog's going through and then just try and be sympathetic, empathetic, whichever one it is. Um, about the fact that this dog is struggling so you know keep routines the same um, if the dog is is struggling getting lost in the house making sure that they you don't change things around too much um, that you've got um, rugs on the floor so that they're not slipping that if you go out for walks and they're not coming back to you that maybe you keep them on a long line because it might just be that they can't hear you or they get confused Um
0: yeah, so you haven't got the you haven't got the risk and you haven't got the worry and it's and you can do a more relaxed walk can't you
1: yeah I mean yeah. one of my
0: own one of my own dogs is, is 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 not I wouldn't say they've got um dysfunction in that way but they are aging now at 14 and, mm. and her hearing's not the same as it uh, was and mm. and she's a, a terrier so she's a bit more independent than my lab and she tends to uh wander off if you don't watch her so yeah. so now she can't hear you as well you you really I've got a um, being a, an area where you can see for a long way yeah. um, like the common or, or to keep her on a on a longer line or something like that so but yeah. it just makes the it takes the stress out of the walk I find if you if it you does. manage it in that way because you're not worried yeah. about every second exactly
1: exactly and they still need to go for those walks they still need to get out and and smell the world and um you know stretch their ancient limbs and they you know, they, they still need to get out and about so it's just oh, adjusting. Okay.
0: So something do. I always think about in uh, in enrichment actually is is older dogs and it, yeah. I think it can be easier to get into the pattern of thinking that um, the dog's old so they don't need the stimulation or they're all right just laying in the corner or, or but there's mm-hmm. it, it's just about changing things and there's, there's still lots yeah. that I find older dogs want to do um, particularly yes. um, sniffing um, yeah. it, it doesn't take much um they don't have to be young and fit and full of energy to, to sniff things, and they still get a lot of enrichment from that, I find.
1: Yeah, yeah hugely, yeah.
0: So your master's research, Claire, to move on to a, a, another one of your areas, was um I thought was fabulously interesting, but not mm-hmm. my sort of area, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So your master's mm-hmm. research looked at word learning in dogs, uh, yeah. and, and the reason it's not my sort of area is because I – I don't, for a a dog training geek, like I used to be, I don't use a lot of verbals in my training. I use a lot of body language and that sort of stuff. And so it's not really my area, but what did you discover? And how can that help us um, training and looking after dogs?
1: oh gosh i'm um, yeah have you got 3 hours Shay? <laughs> no i'll tr- i'll try and keep it in a nutshell so so basically yeah i think you you've hit on it in that we are a very verbal species and um dogs tend to be more um you know visually and and scent driven so um I'm trying to put put this into concise words really but there are there are some dogs so what sparked my interest is um, Chaser the Border Collie who um, was the dog belonging to um, a psychology I think he was psychology professor Um, and he was teaching Chaser um, words so he taught her the names of toys Mm -hmm. and how how many verbals does
0: that dog know
1: Something. I thought she did well she's died now but she did know it's 1022 yeah. that were recorded um so yeah so she had she just kept on learning however he was doing this quite intensively he was doing sort of five hours a day training with her and it was all play-based he didn't use food in his training which is quite interesting um but it was all play-based um and she just kept learning and learning um and she obviously had a huge talent so she's the one that stands out there have been others who have learnt large quantities of words but not as many as chaser but then they didn't live with someone who was putting that much work into it Um, and I think again again Barney has featured again because of all the of all the dogs that I've owned or lived with he's the only one who very easily learnt the name of toys so all you had to do was have a little game with the toy give it a name and once you've done that a couple of times he could go and fetch his toys by name just like it was the most natural thing in the world and yet other dogs that i did that with would um didn't seem to to acquire that knowledge they just um it, it was very random you could tell that they didn't really know what what they were doing so you kind of think well what, what what's going on with that um So then I started looking at the research that's been done into this. Um, The Family Dog Project have um, done quite a bit of it. And they've looked worldwide to try and find um, dogs with the ability to acquire. It it says acquire language. I think that sounds wrong because acquire language makes it sound like you can have a conversation with the dog. That's what Um, I always
0: think. You know what a sceptic I am.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's and it does get even for, for, for me, who is, you know, behavior geek. Um, it gets quite technical. You have to kind of sit in a very quiet room and, and think, what what actually are we looking at here? Um it's it's are, are the dogs actually understanding what the words are, or is it just um just um paired, like paired learning basically? So is it just a cue? Is it just a cue? Um or are they actually understanding the word? Um but we're trying not to ramble on too much. Um it appears that some some dogs do have the ability to understand that um, words relate to objects and categories so that they know that a ball means something that's round it doesn't matter what size it is what color it is what texture it is that they will understand that is ball and you can ask them to get the small ball or the big ball Um, other dogs just don't seem to have that ability to acquire that skill um yeah so so to put it in a nutshell some dogs appear to have higher cognitive abilities which means that they have they can acquire a wider understanding of verbal labels for things um and it appears to be that the best way for them to learn that is through learning the function of the item so with play Mm. Um, or on what the item does. Yeah, not all dogs can do that. Some of them, they go through the same training protocol and they just don't acquire those skills. So it's almost like we have genius dogs. Um, and that, that's quite interesting. and it can be a little bit breed heavy in the border collie area, but not exclusively. There are other breeds that that have that ability.
0: Yeah, and sometimes with border colleagues, I often when when because they they often deem to have superior superior abilities, sometimes mm-hmm. I wonder if it's if it's certainly influenced by their ability to to concentrate for longer times rather than other abilities in the brain. But that takes yeah. us on to um your what you what you'd like to look into if you if you do a PhD, which was neurodiversity in animals, because again we're looking at differences in the brain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess that might be how you got interested in that. Um, yeah. To me, that's really fascinating that you um, said about that, because normally when when we hear about neurodiversity, we're it's in humans, uh, and we're probably talking more about social abilities things that attach to autism and and other um, similar things like that. How would you go about recognising neurodiversity in um, dogs?
1: That's the tricky thing. How would how would we test for it? However, I guess in a way it's like it's a syndrome, isn't it? So again, going back to canine cognitive dysfunction, there's, there's not a test for it. There isn't a single test that says this dog has this. And it's a, almost the same with diagnosing autism or ADD in, in humans. There's no one test. That we have to assess various aspects of that person's um, ability mm. to cope in the world and the things that they struggle with. So we could syndromes. apply. Yes, because their syndrome, their syndromes and their spectrums. So... um we could apply that to non-human animals, particularly again, dogs, because they, they share our, our world. They live with us in our environment. Um, and I think it could change our perspective because I am again, going to go back to Barney. You can see he is, he is the, the pivotal, um, dog for me. Yeah, He, I had him from a puppy. He was, um, a working cocker spaniel. Um, I hold my hands up and say, you know, I made mistakes in raising him. I didn't have a huge amount of knowledge, but um, he was um, raised as the same as all my other puppies, pretty much. Um, he had issues right from the start. He he struggled um, socially with his own species. Um, he struggled to interpret um, play signals. He, he 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 just you could tell that he he struggled to play with other dogs. Um, and yes, there are other factors that could have contributed to that. But you, I just watch how he think about to watching how he was through life, and I look at some of the um, observations and the studies into autistic children, and I think there's a, there's some overlaps there. Um, and I I did try and look into this for my MSC. And there's very little research on, into it. There is there is a small amount been done in America, and I think there's anecdotal. So, anecdotally, if you ask a crowd of dog people, does anyone has anyone ever come across a dog they think is autistic? I think most of them would put their hands up. It's anecdotally it's out there, but we just don't have the research to back it up. Um, and the other thing is sensory processing. So, um, again, study of one, Barney struggled with noise. Um, and a lot of people with with autism or different type neurodiversity have um, sensory processing issues, whether that be um, noise, touch, um, textures, um, sights, sounds, all of that kind of thing. And if you think about some of the dogs that we come across with um, behavioral issues and um, social difficulties, a lot of them also have um, sensory issues and anxiety, because if you're constantly trying to to live in a world that you would struggle to process, that is going to increase your generalised anxiety. Does any of that make sense? Or have I just sat and waffled?
0: (laughs) Fascinating area for for any research. So let's hope you go on to do the um, Mm. PhD one day right claire it's time for enrichment corner and enrichment corner is a quick section of the show uh, my interest uh, is obviously in enrichment so i'll be asking um, everybody who comes on about enrichment um, so enrichment for dogs is obviously uh, extremely important um, people are becoming more and more aware of it over over recent years and and the idea being that there's this for, for a lot of dogs at least there's a big behaviour void uh, between what animals do in a natural state, spending a lot of time finding mates, finding enough food, finding shelter, and, and what our dogs do are living in a household day because they don't get the opportunity um, for those behaviours. And so we, we replace them with enrichment behaviours. And so what do you do is the question um, to, mm. to ensure that your dog's lives are, are enriched in this way and they get enough mental stimulation
1: well, I, um, I, I sit here feeling quite guilty because I'm in the presence of the enrichment god and I probably don't do as much as I should. But my I'm very, very fortunate in where I live um, in that I am 10 minutes away from um, the, the most fabulous National Trust estate with moorland, with woodland, with fields, with all of that. Um, and I have um, Spaniels, so my spaniels, probably the majority of their walks, we do sometimes have lead walks, but again, we're going tonight to places where there's a lot of stuff to sniff, but they go, they're up on the moor and they are scenting for rabbits. They are digging for mice. They are sniffing the deer poo. They are doing all this kind of um, of stuff. So I think I've always perhaps taken a little bit of a back seat on at other enrichment at home however having said that I have done quite a lot of um scent work with Bokka, mm-hmm. um, which we both really enjoy and we've done that at home and we sometimes take that out on walks because I just think sniffing is the most powerful thing for dogs um, it's um, I, I think it changes their behavior if they're able to go and sniff stuff um, and if they're able to learn to focus what they're sniffing um, I do also do I never feed anything out of a bowl. It's always in some kind of topple or a cong or a um, one of these mats or, or we don't like licky mats in our house. We're not big licky mat fans, but, you know, some dogs love them. Um, we do the scrumpled up paper in a box so when I was trying to write essays and what have you and I had a little spaniel sitting there going I'm a bit bored now mum I've got an old Amazon box with paper in it and I just sprinkle some food in there Um, so yeah we we do do that kind of stuff also training I like doing trick training Um, and I think that's a bit of mental challenge don't know if you'd count that as enrichment
0: Absolutely. And, and I, I don't know what you was feeling guilty about because you said all the things that I would agree with, really. In that <laughs> you won't find me arguing against um, scent um, enrichment being amongst the probably the, amongst the best you can do, because most of my research has been in that sort of area. That's, that's what I'm really interested in. And, and, and even now I'm looking at how... Um, Olfaction can affect emotional states and affective state and things like that. So that's uh, a, a big area of mine. Um, I remember Eileen Anderson, actually, because you mentioned the um, Yeah. writing an article, I think it was one of her uh, fabulous blogs, um, mm-hmm. about mats and that she felt that they weren't particularly enriching. And it is mm-hmm. a point I often make. What I, I, I've got nothing against mats The downside for me is that people think, I'll give the dog a licking mouth, that's it, job done. And So yeah. so it's fine. I don't find it harmful in any way. Um, mm. They might enjoy doing it, but I don't think it's massively stimulating. I don't think okay. I'd say that's job done. Do you know yeah. what I
1: mean? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you're far better off putting their food in a towel, rolling it up and letting them snuffle through that.
0: Yeah, than, absolutely.
1: But that's just me.
0: And, and there's, there's often a lot going on with olfaction that people don't realise they do. Like you just mentioned the towel. Um, People think the dog's using their sight and their paws to to get this out. But I've found with a lot of um, exercises that the dog is actually using olfaction as well. They're smelling for where the food is and where to target the the paw and what bits to scrape. And uh, I think I first discovered that when I was using the canine connectable toys. If you've ever used any of them, they're little sections that click together and the dog separates them to get the food out. And one day I'd I'd put them all together and I hadn't put food in one of them, which was just an error. It wasn't something I did on purpose. And and that one where there was no food, it didn't get separated. And my dog, Mr. B, is ex there. Daisy's not interested in, in these um, canine connectables, but Barney loves them. And he's an expert at separating them. He's just got that technique. So it, it's, it's quite easy for him to separate them. So it's not like he couldn't. Um, And he hadn't separated that one where there was no food. And I tried it again and he does it every time. So you think they're using um, sight and all this, but they're always, I think they're probably always using scent to to a degree as well. And and there's nothing I love more than walking through a woodland with the dog. So that's my, that would be my perfect day really walking through the woods with the dogs. So Love
1: me too I, I just have to come back to and so yeah I'm quite quite excited about this now that's why I keep butting in um going back to what you said at the beginning when you introduced about the enrichment corner you were saying about um dogs natural behaviors their hunting um and the, finding places to, to be safe and to nest they use all their senses they use their feet they use their sight as you say they probably use their scent the most but they use all those things so if we're looking at enrichment as a way of providing an um almost a replacement for those natural behaviors or an outlet for natural behaviors it it needs to involve all those um elements doesn't it
0: yeah and it's just for me it's just the the change that we've seen over a short period of time Mm. really and when i started in the dog world nobody ever mentioned in Richmond it wasn't something no. you, you didn't even hear the word I mean you might have heard it in in regard to zoos and things like that but you mm-hmm. didn't hear it so it's it's really massively changed and I don't think there's there's not many behavior conferences or workshops or even training uh, clubs where it's it doesn't become part of what they're doing and what they're teaching so it's, it's mm-hmm. I think it's been a massive uh, massive change but mm-hmm. there's still a lot of um there's not that much research on it and that's something i'm I'm looking at at the moment actually Mm. but claire we're going to go to another section of the show (laughs) called what's your beef Uh, if 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 you haven't guessed what that's about which you probably have it's an opportunity for you to tell us um something you're not happy with in the industry or about dog trading or anything you like something that uh gets your goat and you a little bit
1: <laughs> there so are, off you go there are o- many only, things. only one <laughs> only th- i know i've been thinking about this i have been thinking about this because there are many things i'm a 51 year old woman i have a lot of things to rant about um but i've managed to narrow it down and i think my probably is it my podcasters
0: biggest...
1: sorry is it podcasters, is it podcasters? <laughs> no you're very lucky it's not podcasters it is our, as a society, and I'm not saying everybody's guilty of this, but our unreasonable expectations of pet dogs. Why do we think that we can that, or why not me, not you, but why do people think they can bring a dog home, do very little training with it, not understand its personality, not sit down and spend time with it and figure out who this dog is, not build a relationship with it. And then take it out into the world, take it to the pub, take it to the shops, take it to all these places that people take their dogs to these days and then go, oh, it's not behaving very well. And that, that's just an unreasonable expectation, isn't it? It's like saying to somebody, go and do that job, go and spend every day in that environment with new things being thrown at you and um, cope with each one perfectly. And I, that's my beef. Um, society's unrealistic expectations of the tough job that is being a pet dog.
0: Shall I tell you what I think the reason is, or one of them mm. Mm. is that a lot of people still treat animals, uh, especially well, what I now call companion animals, but a lot of people mm. call pet animals still, mm. uh, as objects and property rather than as yes a living being or like bringing another person into your house you wouldn't Mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't have those sort of unrealistic expectations of them but when it comes to an animal for some reason we even the law still sees them as property in most countries which isn't something I'll ever agree with but I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons
1: I think you're right and when I was trying to narrow it down and find one beef one of the things I went through was thinking that we treat we treat dogs objectively it's a like the objectification yes. of women when there was the whole thing of using women to sell things and page three models and all of that we're doing it to dogs aren't we
0: yeah so And when I when I buy a computer or a I was going to say a record player then, but that really would be showing my age, wouldn't it? I couldn't think of anything else. When we buy something, we know we've got an idea of what that item is supposed to do, why we're buying it. That's all preconceived in our head. We know what it's supposed to do. And I think we do that to dogs. We do. We can't possibly know what they're going to do because they're a, a living, breathing, sentient being and they're not a computer program.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And yeah. I can't even get computer programs to behave. So,
1: no, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. So, that, that's uh, a
0: brilliant observation. I'm not going to argue with uh, your beef. I agree with you. So, we're going to the randomizer, Claire. We're going to the randomizer. Uh, Exciting. Which sounds uh, great. And if you're, you're listening, you can't see this. Um, Marvel in technology, which is the randomizer. uh, Me and Claire are connected by uh, video, so Claire can actually see that it is uh, a randomizer machine.
1: Wow. That's amazing, Shay.
0: (laughs) And this is what it sounds like. We're going to the randomizer for our next question, basically. It could be anything. Well, only only things I've put in here, obviously. So Claire, what advice would you give? What, what I forgot this was in here. It's brilliant. What, <laughs> I'm picking up my own questions now. I actually stole it off the internet. I didn't think of it. Uh, what 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 I'll get there in a minute. What advice would you give a previous boss?
1: A previous boss? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I could I can be very succinct and I could say. Be kind. Is that enough? That is enough.
0: Will that do? Yeah. We're getting all the silly ones today. They're not all silly. Why did you agree to come on this podcast, Claire?
1: Because I've never done a podcast and I thought it might be fun. And I haven't chatted to Shay for ages. So I thought it'll be nice to have a chat with Shay.
0: Fabulous. I've never no, I've not done many podcasts either. Um yeah. this is my second that I'm making. It uh, it's all started through Andrew Hale because he asked me to go on his um it's not a podcast, but it's a video um talk that he does on his group called Canine Centered Care. And I forever have been saying no to people when they ask me to come on these things. So I put my name out there and run the enrichment group and 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 do a do a blog and so people often ask me to do these things and quite often they just get ignored because I think I'm a little apprehensive and I think I'll answer that later and you know what these things are like you never get around to answering it so after dogfoot world, just been an ignorant pig um, which you probably (laughs) am a little bit Um, and then Andrew asked me and I was such a sort of fan of of the stuff that he does and and It's not that that I agree with it all, because you know me, I don't agree with um, all of what anybody says at all, but I find it very interesting and intriguing and and it takes your mind in other places anyway. So I agreed to go on it. We didn't do it in the end because um, my wife was not well and then he had technical issues. uh, So we have got it planned for the near future. But that's what really got me started. Uh, And then I said yes to the next one that somebody asked me to do a few weeks ago, Uh, carrie Ann Selwyn for um, Hoopers Group. And then I decided it was so much fun. I'd start on my own.
1: Sometimes it's good to say yes and step out of your comfort zone, isn't it?
0: We might all live to regret it. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> the thing as well, actually, is that I think um, really going back to university for me is, is what gives me enough confidence at least to, 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 to do other stuff and to write the books I've wrote and to do the blog mm. and, and stuff like that. Mm. so and and because when you go to uni it does put you way out of your comfort zone
1: oh yeah and
0: normally when people put me out of my comfort zone i walk away and i yeah. i you know if people push me to do something that i don't want to do mm-hmm. uh, they're not my friend for much longer i i don't like being pushed into things like that when you go to uni it's a bit different because you're paying them to do that to you <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot of money yeah. but you do, you do Almost everything I've ever done at uni that I've not wanted to do, I've ended up, uh, it's been a benefit and it's in, in surprising ways sometimes it can take you down other paths and you always get something out of it is what I'm trying to say. So let's get to your next question. Do you have any regrets?
1: No, because I don't do, well, oh, hang on, I was going to say no, I don't do regrets because I don't see the point. It's a waste of um, thought. <laughs> I could go back and say I have regrets about um, my my dogs who are no longer with me, that I wish I had the knowledge I have now and I could take it back and do things differently with them. So is that a regret? I don't know, because at the point that I was in time, then I did the very best I could with the knowledge I had. But with hindsight, I could have done things differently. So that's not really a regret, is it?
0: One of the yeah. things that I hear a lot um, talking to people is, uh, especially in the enrichment world, when they they start doing enrichment with their current dog and they realize they feel like they should have always been doing it, or they should have. All, yeah. And the amount of people that have said, "I wish I knew about this twenty years ago with my last dog," and uh, but I'm exactly the same with with my first dog as an adult. Um, yeah. She lived her whole life with her choke chain round a neck that's what that's what everybody did at that time and that's what i did and i didn't think it was weird and i didn't think it was cruel and you know i did not think it was unkind and i would have thought anyone who said it was was bonkers now i don't even like to see a dog with a collar on i like dogs to be attached by a harness and so i mean i wince when i think see things like choke chains um yeah. but i i know what you mean about regrets you you can only you can only be the person with the knowledge you've got at the time you know it's yeah it's, exactly the only thing you've got to regret is knowing about these things and and dismissing them for too long and not at least having an open mind in investigating them we've gone a bit deep there haven't we
1: we have gone a bit deep <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> right last one what's the best thing about your
1: job the best thing about my job is um I guess it's those clients who um, see the light. <laughs> that sounds very um, um, yeah. bizarre, doesn't it? No, I guess it, it's the clients that I work with that um, after our time together say, I understand my dog better. I I that you can see they've made a connection with their dog as an individual, as a personality. Um, and that they understand what their dog needs. They understand how to um, how to live with their dog in harmony. Does that? I'm, I am going a bit airy fairy now, aren't I? But yeah, I think that is the best part of my job. It doesn't always happen, but when it does, you just think yes. That.
0: yeah so so in those people you've sort of sparked something that maybe maybe yeah. was sparked in you when you're talking about your previous um yeah. behaviorist who came came and it's yeah. just it's it's giving people that awareness that there's even another way and yeah. i think for me the best thing was really unexpected and it's that because i've said uh in my books i've mentioned uh problems at school and blah mm-hmm. blah and then mm-hmm. becoming eventually graduate of the year which i don't like to mention of course um, <laughs> yeah. but that really resonated with some people who read the book they didn't read it for that reason they read it for enrichment or for training purposes but they they might have a child that's going through school and having similar problems and they've, and they've said they've actually shown this in the book to their child and it's really um, made a big difference to their outlook and and given them some hope and and they've actually contacted me to say what, a, what a, a big difference that's made to them and so that wasn't um something I was ever expecting to experience right. I wasn't expe- expecting to expect that to, to influence anybody in that way that's not what I ever set out to do um yeah. but it's it's, but it's just a it's a amazingly good feeling to to feel like you're making a difference to somebody else
1: it is it is it's very satisfying isn't it um I don't think that's the right word, but yeah, no, I get that.
0: So that's the end of the uh, show, Claire. How can people find out more about you if you want them to know more about you or or, or book your services as a dog trainer or an advisor?
1: So my my business name is Hound Solo. Um, I am on Facebook as Hound Solo. And obviously also as myself, Um, I have a website, which is houndsolodogtraining.co.uk. And people are very welcome to message me through the website and to message me through Facebook. Um, Nice comments only, please. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so anyone is is welcome to get in touch. I am in the north of England. um, So and I would be happy to hear from people.
0: What plans, Claire, do you have
1: for the future? Ooh, for the future. Well, there's that PhD, isn't there? Um, but uh, at the moment, I'm working with my um, my Springer Spaniel, who only came to live with us a month ago. He's age six, and he has um, a lot to learn about the world, and he's amazing. So he is sort of my my short term focus um, I want to work with more clients um get myself out to help more people to make that connection with their dog um and then yeah more education more learning more study more stupid word counts
0: <laughs> excellent I don't think I'm going to be doing the uh, PhD but I said that about the the BSc and the masters, so so you never know. But it's six years. of time time It is, so, and I need
1: a break. But yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> you no, know, I, I I took a a break on on my um on my studies. And you've been doing. Uh, how long have you done full? Uh, I did. I did stop? seven 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 years. years. So I'm in my eighth year, but I took a year out. So yeah. Claire, thanks so much for coming on the show and being our guinea pig. Uh, We'll see how it all works out and see if anyone listens, which I'm sure they will. Uh, I'll be back soon with another episode of Just Shaying, where I extract info from the experts and give it to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been great fun. See you all again soon. Thank you all so much for listening if you enjoyed the show click the follow button and share with others if you didn't enjoy the show write a strongly worded letter not to me obviously i'm busy